Now, my goal for us during this holiday season is really to just to kick back and relax. And that's really pretty easy for us because we're from the South, right? I mean, every, everyone in the South is just kind of easy going. Not. Folks, we live in Collin County. Uh, we live in the haven of workaholism. Surveys state that we would rather pl- uh, work than play, that we prefer uh, employment over enjoyment. The truth of the matter is this. There's a lot of people here in Collin County that don't know how to relax in God's goodness. They are adrenaline junkies. They don't know how to slow down. In fact, studies have shown that the average American is sleep deprived, that they get two hours less sleep than they did, I don't know, about 40 years ago. Let me just give a little questionnaire here, and I don't want you to raise your hands, but I want you to be honest with yourself. Are you always in a hurry? Are you, is your to-do list unrealistically long? Do you use days off to catch up with work? Do you feel guilty when you do take a day off? Do you have to get sick to get a day off? You know that you're a workaholic when all your Christmas cards come from business associates. You know that you're a workaholic when you're heading to a school function and you forgot which kid it's for. You know that you're a workaholic when you can't turn off your cell phone because you've got to receive that text. You know that you're a workaholic when you have to take reading material, business reading material, to the restroom. Now, the fact of the matter is God uh, considers rest just as important as work, and yet we don't think that way, do we? We think God is only pleased and has a smile on his face when we're doing something, when we're praying or when we're doing something special. Folks, it's just not true. God smiles at you when you rest and relax. When I saw my grandkids fall asleep in my, my children's arms, let me tell you, that put a smile on my face for a number of reasons. On top of that, God rests. In Exodus 31, it says, one day a week, God says, will always serve as a reminder that I made the heavens and the earth in six days, and then on the seventh day, I rested and relaxed. Why did God do that? Well, I can tell you this, it wasn't because he was tired, not at all. He, he did that to model for us the importance of just slowing down, resting and relaxing and reflecting on the goodness of God. That our hope quotient truly might rise. We are in a series called Home with Hope. And we're looking at God's goodness because, folks, it is a fundamental building block to hope in our life. David said in Psalms 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When you and I get to God's house in eternity future, we are going to be anticipating God's goodness every single second we're there. Hey, what's next, what's next, what's next? It's gonna be like Disney World a gazillion times over, okay? And God wants our homes to be filled with hope as well. And it comes through slowing down and relaxing and reflecting on the goodness of God. And that's what he wants us to do here in our spiritual home. 
You see, a lot of hopelessness in our life is the result of truly not understanding the goodness of God. If we knew how good God is, if, uh, what he's done and what he is about to do, folks, I guarantee this, we'd just go, David, again in Psalms, said, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. Will you write this down? Those two pictures, those word pictures, are about rest and refreshment. He makes, or he makes me lie down, that's rest, and he leads me beside quiet waters, that's refreshment. And circle the phrase, he makes me. Has God ever made you lay down because you wouldn't slow down? Has God ever put you flat on your back, maybe with some sickness, so that you eventually will look up to him? You see, God cares about you far more than what you realize, you and I realize. He cares about you physically. He cares about you mentally, emotionally, uh, uh, socially, relationally, vocationally, across the board. And so he says, I want you to rest. In fact, will you write this down? To give God your best requires rest. If you don't rest, guess what? You're gonna get stressed. And you know that that leads to hopelessness. If you missed any of the messages that I've given in this series, Home with Hope, I wanna encourage you to go online and take a look at them. <clears throat> got college students coming back and I got informed this morning that they are, one of the students is watching every one of my messages since they've been gone. You got college students? You better get them on, online with this, okay? Because they need this. I don't know that they've learned how to slow down from our, ourselves here, okay? But we need rest, Truly the difference between hope and hopelessness could be just one word, rest. Isn't it amazing how just one good night's sleep can change your whole perspective on life? Now folks, I gotta confess. I wrote this message probably about six weeks ago. And when I write a message and it doesn't resonate with me, I think, yeah, this probably won't do, probably won't, won't hit the church, okay? Won't hit our spiritual family. But if it resonates with me, in other words, if it convicts me, then I think, you know what? I think this is gonna help everybody. I want you to know something. I need this message just as much as you do. The reality is we go way too fast in our culture. And yet if you study the ministry of Jesus, you will know that in the gospels that he had seven major advancements and then he had seven retreats. Advancements and retreats, advancements and retreats. Jesus rested. I want to ask you this question. When was the last time you had a personal retreat? Folks, this series that I'm priming up right now is just getting us ready for the year of hope in January. And one of the things that I'm going to be challenging with and giving you tools for is for a personal retreat retreat where your soul can be renewed. You see, I have to learn how to rest. I have to learn how to rest in God's goodness. How in the world do you and I do that? Well, before we can answer that question, we got to take a look at the sources of stress that so often drive us in our culture. And there are five from the Bible that I want to bring to our attention. Maybe one or several of them will resonate with you. The first one is simply this, misplaced identity. 
basing my worth on my work. A lot of people base their worth on their work. They think, you know what? If I work hard and I succeed, then I'm gonna be more valuable. If I don't work and don't succeed, then I'm gonna be less valuable. Nothing could be further from the truth. A lot of times our culture just loves to bring those two together. Take a look at Ecclesiastes 10. Only someone too stupid, don't you like God's word? I mean, it's just right out there in front of you, right? It's just, mm. it's only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. He's saying life is more than work. Second one is materialism. Always wanting more. When I have more things, then I have to make more money. And in order to make more money, I have to work harder and I have to work longer. The Bible warns of materialism. Take a look at Proverbs 23. Do not wear yourself out trying to get rich. Have the wisdom to show some restraint. Your money can be gone in a flash as if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. I would have you know that our founding fathers understood this. They put an eagle on every dollar bill because they knew it just kind of flies away, right? It's been my observation that most of us spend the first half of our life sacrificing our health to gain wealth. And then the second half of our life, we're sacrificing our wealth to regain and get back our health. Notice what Jesus said out of, out of Luke 12. Watch out, always be on your guard against all kinds of greed because your life is not defined by how much you make or how many things you own. Materialism causes overwork. Third thing that we see in the Bible is envy. Wanting to be like other people, trying to keep up with the Joneses. I mean, the Joneses kids do all this stuff. I mean, they go to soccer practice and they go to dance and then they go to basketball. Well, I guess all of our kids, we got to do the same thing. My friends are on social media, so I guess I need to spend all my free time on social media as well. We do things that we don't need to do because other people are doing them. And we also buy other things that we don't need to buy because other people are buying them. Take a look at Ecclesiastes 4.4. I've learned why people work so hard to succeed. It's because they envy the things their neighbors have. I want to be like the Joneses. I want to do what the Joneses do. I want to have what the Joneses have. And by golly, I want to go where the Joneses are going. Envy. The fourth one is accomplishments. It's valuing achievements over relationships. When your goals become God in your life, I want to let you know, relationally, you are skating on thin ice. Again, notice what Solomon says here in Ecclesiastes 4. Here's another thing I, I've seen on earth that makes no sense. Some people don't have any kids or family or even friends Yet they work obsessively, never taking a break. There's no end to their toil, and they're never content with what they've done or earned. They never ask, why am I always working to do more? And why don't I let myself enjoy life? And who cares? Who will get what I, what I leave behind? What a senseless and miserable way to live. You're better off having someone to enjoy and share the rewards 
of your work. Wow. God did not put you and I here to mark off things from our to-do list. God put you and I here to love, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as ourselves. When you and I get to heaven, God's gonna say, hey, how are your relationships? Did you get to know me? Did, did you really get to know that I was a good God and that I was a good God all the time? Did you get to know my son? Did you get to know other people in your, oh, you didn't. Oh, you hit home runs at work. Well, you struck out, sorry. God wants us to rest, to re relax, and to reflect on God's goodness. But we find it challenging because of our lifestyle, because of misplaced identity, materialism, envy, accomplishments. And then the last one is this, insecurity. I'm afraid I won't have enough. Now, honestly, folks, I get to rub shoulders with a lot of affluent people. I've rubbed shoulders and had lunches with people who are multi-millionaires. And the topic of retirement has come up. And when it has, I ask the question, what would it take for you to be secure? And they said, oh, 15, 20 million dollars more. And I thought, you won't be secure with that because it can fly away. And anything it can be taken away from you, you can't be secure in. So what do we do? We work, 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 work. What does the Bible say about this? Take a look at Ecclesiastes 6, 7. We work to feed our appetites, but meanwhile our, will you circle this word, souls go hungry. We are so afraid that we won't have enough because we don't understand that God has got us covered from birth to grave. And so what happens is that we starve our souls. And even as a culture, when we take a day off, we are preoccupied with work and we're preoccupied to hit those grocery stores at 6 a.m. or even earlier than that on Black Friday. David speaks about this. Take a look at Psalms 127. It is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, fearing and worrying that you won't have enough. That's the source of insecurity. For God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. So here's my prescription for you. I want you to go home and take a nap today. Not now. When you get home, I want you to get on that couch and I want you to lay back and I want you to begin thinking of the goodness of God towards your life. Not just on Thursday when you're around the table with all your friends and families. Start today. Build up some momentum. Get on that couch and reflect on God's goodness and the blessings that he's given you and fall asleep with that thought. How do you and I do this? How do you and I relax? How do you and I gain balance instead of restlessness and hopelessness that comes with it? How do we live a restful, hopeful life? Well, let me give you five antidotes to the five most common sources of stress in our life. And what are they? What do you and I do? 
Will we allow our shepherd, Jesus, a good shepherd, to lead, feed, and meet needs by number one, remembering my value to God? This is the starting point for getting a more sane schedule. You remember your value before God. This is the exact opposite of basing your worth on your work. This is a countercultural thought. When you go to a meeting, is it not true that the very first two questions that are asked are these? Hey, what's your name? And what do you do for a living? They equate your identity with your work. And if you want to get on off this cycle, you got to remember your value to God, which raises the question, how valuable are you? Folks, you are extremely valuable to God. God made you. Jesus Christ died for you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You are extremely valuable. All of those things and more show you your worth. So I want you to write this down. It's not what I do that gives me worth. It's who I belong to. It's not what I do. Folks, you could lose your job tomorrow. Does that mean that your value would have gone down? Not at all. You could be involved in an accident where you are disabled and can't work at all. Would you lose your value then? Absolutely not. Folks, this is a life-changing truth for some of us because for the longest time, maybe even from birth, we've, we've never thought of ourselves as being priceless, though we are. We think, you know, I'm nobody. I, I'm not worth anything. And those kinds of thoughts oftentimes drive us to work, 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 work. And in the back of our minds, we believe, you know what? If I take a day off, it's not going to be good. I've got to keep up with the Joneses. I've got to keep up to keep my place. But here's the deal. You are already valuable to God. God created you. Jesus Christ died for you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You don't need anyone else's approval. You've already got God's. You can't get any more of God's approval than you already have now, and you can't get any less. My kids are invaluable to me. Do you realize that? Because Cheryl and I made them. <laughs> and we have sacrificed for them. We took them to Disney World, the whole family. I'm looking for them to give it back, but that's another story. And they have the spirit of Pfizer in them. And guess what? I want to make sure my grandkids have the spirit of Pfizer in them. Folks, you and I have been made by God. This verse, you ought to put this one on your refrigerator. James 1.18. God decided to give us through the word of truth so that, yeah, God decided to give us life through the word of truth so that we might be the most important of everything God has created. I want you to circle that phrase, most important of everything God has created. That means you're more important than this earth, and that may rock some environmentalists in this room. You are more important than the earth, than the moon, than the stars, than the sky up above. You're more important than the Milky Way. Look at that verse again. The most important of everything God has created. You matter more than all 
of creation. So what does it matter if someone doesn't like you? If you like you and God likes you, then guess who's got the problem? So I don't have to overwork for anybody. I, 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 God loves me just the way I am. He values me at the top and it never moves down from that. He loves you and I so much that he's even put a tattoo on his body. Isaiah 49, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. The only person in heaven that's gonna have scars is gonna be Jesus Christ. God made you. Jesus Christ died for you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Truly, the, the only time that you might have a retreat where you relax and you reflect on God's goodness might be right here and now. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to take a big breath. With your eyes closed, just whisper this prayer. Father, help me to feel your love. Jesus, help me to feel my value. Holy Spirit, help me to know and feel that I matter. God, you're a good God. And you are good. The second one is this, you enjoy what you already have. This is the antidote to materialism, always wanting more. This is called contentment. And if, you're gonna, and if you learn contentment, I'm going to tell you this, you're going get to get out of the rat race. And we have to learn this because contentment doesn't come natural. Notice what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. I have learned the secret of being content. Stop right there. Notice that it has to be learned. You and I don't get this naturally. In any and every situation, whether, in well fed, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul is saying that by nature, I'm discontent. By nature, I am, like a, I am a restless sheep. By nature, I just want more and more and more and more. And to be content, I've got to slow down my life and I've got to enjoy what I have. And I hope, and that is my prayer, as we enter into this season, starting with Thanksgiving, that we would just slow down and that we would enjoy the presence of others, that we would enjoy what God has already given us instead of being preoccupied by leaving as soon as we can Friday morning to hit that Black Friday good deal at Best Buy or whatever. This is a great time to begin raising the hope in your life. Look at this verse, Ecclesiastes 4, 6. A little food eaten in peace is better than having twice as much earned from overwork and chasing the wind. It is better to just have a little than to have a lot and there to be conflict in relationships. And why is that? 
It's because the greatest things in life truly aren't things, are they? They're people, they're relationships. Folks, I'm a pastor, and I can pretty much guarantee this, that I've been at more bedsides of people dying than you've ever even thought about. In fact, I've got four funerals ahead of me that are going to go through next week. And I can guarantee you this, that when I go to these rooms, they don't say, boy, you know, I really wish I'd have worked harder. Really wish I'd have made more money. I don't know if I'd be in this place if I had, you know. Oh, Pastor George, can you go get the pictures of all the cars that I've bought in my lifetime? Can you just bring me all the trophies and the awards that I've had? No, I can, I can guarantee you this is what they want. They want to talk about God. George, can you assure me of my salvation? And Pastor George, when I'm gone, will you help my family deal with this? You see, why is it that when we come to the final aspect of our life, that we learn what really matters in life. My question is this, why can't we learn it earlier? Our life would be so much better and we would have a whole lot more hope in our life if we could just learn that and answer that question sooner than later. As I've said before, you'll never find a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Why? Because you can't take it with you. You and I just need to enjoy what we have. And to be honest with you, my wife and I, we get discontent. There's things that we want and, and we get them and why isn't it like this and why isn't it like that and we get all worked up. And there are those times that God reminds us both of Sonny and Cher's song. I've got you, babe. Put your little hand in mine. You know, I'm getting ready for the Christmas thing. You don't want to miss it, I guarantee you, okay? Take a look at these verses. Ecclesiastes 9.9, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Look at Ecclesiastes 3.13, all of us should enjoy what we have worked for. It is God's gift. I love this one. Let me read this one to you. Matthew 6.31, Jesus said, "What, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. To not be so preoccupied with getting, going out on Friday, so you can respond to God's giving. God is a good God, and He is good all the time. You see, what we're talking about here may not sound sound spiritual, but folks, these are spiritual issues. I remember my value. I enjoy what I already have. Number three, I limit my work to six days a week. George, you've got to be kidding me. In the rat race that I'm in right now at work, hey, I'd lose my job. Do you understand that when you work all the time that you are breaking one of the the big 10 commandments? God wants you and I to rest and have recreation as a part of our life. And God put it in the Big Ten. It's the fourth commandment. It was so important to God that he put it right up there with adultery and, and, and murder and stealing and all those other things. It's called, in the Hebrew, sabbath. Exodus 20 says, you have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is to be a day of complete rest. That, that phrase is sabbath dedicated to me. God wants you and I every seventh day to take it off. And he's wired us that if we don't, we will burn ourselves out and we will be worn out. We will be wrung out across the board. 
So will you write this down? Sabbath means day of rest. And notice what Jesus said about it in Mark 2, 27. The Sabbath was made to benefit man. In other words, God didn't create it for himself. When you and I violate our Sabbath, our Sabbath, we're hurting ourselves. Well, Pastor George, what day of the week should it be? Well, God doesn't really care as long as you get one out of every seven, okay? And you may be thinking, well, what in the world do I do uh, on my Sabbath? I'm glad you asked that question. You do three things. You rest your body, you recharge your emotions, and you refocus your spirit. You rest your body. How? By not working. You recharge your emotions. How? Through quiet, through relationships, through recreation. You refocus your spirit. How? Through worship. It is amazing how worship gives you a different perspective on life. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you make appointments for everything? How many of you use your iPhones when something comes? Well, let me just put that on my calendar right now. Doctor appointments, uh, I don't know, uh, facials, uh, manicures, pedicures, uh, uh, vacations. Folks, we all do. Can I encourage you to schedule your Sabbath and put it on your calendar as a Sabbath, not as a day off. You see, my Sabbath is a Friday. And I put it down, Sabbath. My day off is on Thursday. And I tell you, don't say day off because we cheat on our days off, don't we? Well, day off, but I'll work. I do, I cheat. My, my day off is Thursday, and I can pretty much guarantee I work a half a day on Thursday all the time, okay? But my Sabbath, I don't touch. And I do those three things. I, I, I rest my body. Instead of getting up at 4.30 and 5 in the morning, I sleep in until 7, maybe 8 o'clock if I'm really lazy that day. And then I recharge my emotions by doing things with Cheryl. She's the best friend in my life. We go to museums. We go out to eat at different places. And that day I refocus my spirit by worshiping and having an extended time of worship with God. And I guarantee you this, if you and I can just begin to build that practice, don't miss next year as we talk about hope. I guarantee you, if you can build this practice into your life, you will have more time. Proverbs 14, verse 30 says, a relaxed attitude lengthens your life. Envy rots it away. I remember my value to God. I enjoy what I already have. I limit my work. And then fourth thing, I adjust my values. Now, why is this so important? It's because to reduce busyness in your life, you're going to have to change the way you think about what's most important. You're going to have to ask and answer the question, what's most important, to rest or to impress? You see, we do a lot of things. We buy a lot of things. With money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And you know what? In the process, it's killing us. Take a look at this. Jesus gets right to the heart of this issue in Mark 8, 36. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his, and will you circle this word, soul? But Pastor George, I, I got all this stuff. 
I got this boat, and I got this big media room, and I got, and I got, uh, I got this brand new car. I got all this stuff, but how's your soul? Are you forfeiting your relationship with God and with others? Are you forfeiting your soul? This aspect of soul is so important. We're going to cover this in this series. What is your soul? Let me give you a brief definition. It is that part of you that thinks, chooses, and feels. Do you think the state of your soul, what you're thinking, the things that you choose to give yourself to, and your feelings affects your hope quotient? It most certainly does. And that leads me to the fifth thing. And that is this. I need to exchange my restlessness for God's peace. I need to give up my tendency to roam, to be restless like sheep are, to wander, to veer off the path. I shared this verse, I, I think, a couple of weeks ago. I want to read it again. Look at this, Matthew 6, 26 through 30. Jesus said, look at the birds in the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. And you know that you are worth so much more than the birds. You cannot add any time to your life by worrying about it. And why do you worry about anything else? Look at the beauty of the wildflowers in the field. They don't worry or overwork. But God takes care of them so that you can be sure that he will clothe you too. God says, take a look at the birds. I take care of those. Take a look at the flowers. They're dead gorgeous. I'm going to clothe you too. Folks, this is the root of workaholism. It's the root of our tendency to be restless and stressed out. There's a number of types of fatigue that you and I experience in life. There's physical fatigue where our muscles get tired. There is emotional fatigue where our emotions get wrung out. And we don't have anything else in us. And then there is spiritual fatigue where our spirit just dries up. You and I need more than sleep. Sleep addresses the physical fatigue, but it doesn't do anything for the emotional and the spiritual. You see, what we need most is we need soul rest. Where our thinking and our choices and our hope quotient begins to rise because we're allowing God, we're giving ourselves time to reflect on God's goodness. Notice what he says about this in Matthew 11. Jesus said, are you tired, worn out, burnt out? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take, take a real rest, a retreat, personal retreat. Walk with me and, and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Will you write this down? Soul rest helps me to get back on the journey to hope. St. Augustine said this, the beginning of good works starts by the confessing of bad ones. Our hope quotient will come up 
as we remember those five things. And I want you to pull out your outline. And I want you to circle the first letter of the word remember, R. And circle in the second point, circle the first letter of enjoy, E. And then the third one, circle the first letter of limit or limiting, L. And circle the fourth one, the first letter, A, of adjusting. And then circle the second letter of exchange, X. Relax. God is a good God. He is good all the time. And nothing would be better as you come together with family and friends around that table on Thanksgiving Day and you have a prayer, an acts prayer, acknowledging God. God, you're a good God and you are good all the time. And then see, confess, God, we don't trust you enough. And then T, but thank you, God, for the many, many blessings that you've given us. And the biggest ones are right here in front of me. And then S, God, help me to be successful. Work on my soul. I'm coming back to you. Let's pray. Lord, I just really do thank you that you are a good God and that you are a good God all the time. And I confess, Lord, for myself that I don't trust you enough. That I feel like the whole world in one sense rides on my shoulders. But God, you're good. Regardless of the frailty of our humanity, you bless. And you bless with the people that you've placed in our life. You bless us with the things that we have living in this nation, in this county, in this city. And yet, God, we ask you that you would help us to be successful. That you wouldn't just lead, feed, and meet needs, but that you would help us to succeed, to thrive, that our souls might be refreshed and renewed, God. Would you do that, God, in us as we start this 2017 holiday season? We look to you to do that, God. We give you this in your son's precious name. Amen.